Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. But as you guys know, it's a big week this week. Um, It's election week, and uh, I know many of you guys are going to be at the polls, and some of you guys have already voted. Um, But I just wanted to remind us, as the body of Christ, we do have the obligation to vote. So after you cast your ballot, you know, one of the things that Jesus prayed is that as the church that we would be unified, that just as the Father and Him are one, that we would be one. And I I know that there is, um, uh, there's a lot, everything is just really kind of hot right now on so many different levels. And I want to make sure that as the body of Christ, listen, man, we are exercising our freedoms and our our rights um, to go and let our voices be heard. But also, Let's just make sure during this next season, regardless of what happens, that we're valuing every person. Every person is a soul that God cares about, and uh, they may not agree with you, and you may not agree with them, but we are still the body. And so let's not forget that. Um, Let's make sure this week we're offering up prayers of intercession uh, for our country, for our leaders, uh, for our cities. Uh, both citizens and law enforcement, you know, there's some prediction no matter who wins that there's going to be some unrest. And uh, so just praying over our communities and our cities, reminding you that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and wickedness in heavenly places. Um, And then also make sure you think before you speak. Uh, James is going to talk to us about this in uh, just a a few more I think part four or five. Um, So we'll be talking about the tongue. And uh, remember, our our words have the ability to speak both life and death. By no means am I trying to say you should be silent about anything. I'm just saying be mindful of how you're communicating. And then uh, lastly, just exemplify Christ in all that you do. I I think, again, I'm not asking you to do anything that's not biblical. It's just, let's make sure we're exemplifying Christ in our decision-making. We're exemplifying Christ as we engage the world during this time. Um, And let's let's be lights in the midst of darkness. Is that that fair? Is that cool? And uh, so uh, we're we're in part three of the book of James. And I've entitled the message, Keep It Real. Look at your neighbor and say, keep it real. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together. And I just ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us through your word today. Lord, I know that you have a word in season for us. And Father, we thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you that you are sovereign. Um, And we just ask, Lord, that um, you will continue to use us as salt and light in the earth. And Lord, I just ask that you would lead us, that you would direct us this week, that we would seek your face. Um, as we seek out everything else, Lord, that you would be first in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Well, listen, I, I want to I speak to you around this idea of keep it real. And I, I want to play a little bit of, of a game with you. And the game is called What Country Owns What? So I, I want you just, just to take a guess. You can give me a little feedback. You online, you can just shout at the TV or your phone, what, your computer, whatever you're looking at. But what country do you think owns the Holiday Inn? Anybody have an idea? Yes, it, did. it definitely originated in the United States. Um, who said England? England is correct. Holiday Inn is owned by England. What about good old-fashioned Gerber Baby? 
Nope, not German, not the U.S. The answer is actually Switzerland. Switzerland owns Gerber. Now, you guys may get this one. How about Trader Joe's? Good old USA. It's actually Germany owns Trader Joe's. Yeah, believe it or not. Now, now this, this, one, this one is an easy one. Church is chicken. Now, now, the church owns it. Lord knows I wish we did. Do you know, you know Church's Chicken was, uh, was owned by the first Islamic bank of Bahrain. Up until recently, another investment company here in the United States bought back Church's Chicken. It's exchanged hands several times. Uh, what about good old General Electric? China is actually the owner of General 90% stakehold in General Electric. Amazing, right? And as you look back, all of these, all these companies started outside. I'm not sure if Trader Joe's was actually originated in the United States, but all majority of these companies are, were all founded in the U.S., and they have exchanged ownership several times. And probably even as I'm communicating this right now, they're in negotiations because somebody else is going to buy them, and it, it keeps, they keep exchanging hands. And so James is going to warn us today that if we are not careful— we can be bought and sold by every temptation that comes our way. And what ends up happening is when we're, when we're bought and sold by every wind of doctrine, by every temptation that comes our way, we begin to lose sight of our identity in Christ. We begin to forget who we belong to. We're, we open up ourselves to deception, to distortion of what's real and what's fake, and we start to buy into this ancient lie that something outside of God will satisfy. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, that something outside of God will satisfy. You know, there's a, a true story about a couple in Bosnia. Their marriage was in trouble, and they were getting ready to uh, file for divorce. During the course of this period, they both started to have online affairs. Uh, her name was Sweetie. His name was Prince of Joy. She worked at an internet cafe, and they both ended up having affairs online. The only problem was that when, when they were getting ready to meet up with the person that they were having an affair with, they said, I'm going to bring a rose, and you're going to bring a rose so that we can identify one another when we meet. Well, long story short, you can probably put two and two together, is when they met up, they actually found out they were having an affair with each other. And so extremely disappointed, they were like... You spoke to me in ways that I have never been spoken to, the wife said. And he said, you made me feel like a man more than I ever have. And they were completely disappointed, ended up proceeding with the divorce. And the reality is, is that temptation always has this appearance of life, but it leads to disappointment. It leads to deadly consequence. And I don't know if you and I realize this or we think about this a lot, but we are all one decision away from utter destruction. Like, I don't think Adam and Eve realized that as they just ate from some fruit, that the consequence would be as severe as it was. And matter of fact, we are still reaping the consequence of that today of sin entering into humanity, fracturing the universe. And now all creation longs for redemption. So James, he, he 
kind of transitions us a little bit in James chapter 1, verse 13 and 15. He says, when tempted. Now, I don't know if this sounds familiar, but James was just talking to us about trouble and trials. He said, when trouble comes, when trials come, and now he says, when temptation comes. Like, not an if, not, not maybe, but when it comes, because it's coming. Trouble is coming, and temptation is coming. But it seems like James is switching gears from trials to temptation. But he's actually really not. The same word that he uses for trials is the, is the word that he uses for temptation. In the original language, in the Greek, it's, it's parismos. And they both mean the same thing. Because what James is trying to communicate to us is that for every trial, there is a temptation. Every trial gives an opportunity for temptation. It just depends on our response. You see, temptation is when we, many times, try to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. Now, all my students in here, please don't take notes from your pastor on this. When I was in, uh, when I was in, in high school, I went to uh, Redwood Continuation, my last two years of high school, I had independent studies, right? So, needless to say, I wasn't that much of a scholar. But, um, I got in trouble a lot. I always made honor roll, but I just got in trouble a lot, and it, it was, it's a long story, and I can tell you a different time. But this was my classroom right here. And uh, Mr. Myron, if you're watching, please forgive me, sir. I value you. I respect you to this day, uh, but I did violate your class in a lot of different ways. And so Mr. Myron was my teacher, and I, what I would do independent studies, I would do my, all my work. I'd come to school, and I would take tests. And so what, what I would do is, I, it's not that I, I didn't understand stuff, because I loved history, I loved all of these different things, but I just didn't want to do the work at the, at the time, I had other things going on, and so what I would do is I'd come in, hey, Mr. Mott, how are you? He always had a routine. He would, oh, he, would, he would sit down, getting ready to take my test, and he would walk out of the door to, to go get some coffee, and I can hear his footsteps walking down the hallway all the way to the break room where he'd get his coffee, and then he'd make his way all the way back. Well, when Mr. Meyer went to get his coffee, I would slide around his desk, and I would pull out all my tests for the week, maybe two weeks, maybe the month if I had time. And I'd give myself a solid 80%, you know, don't want to make it too obvious. So I was a, I was a B student. And, uh, and so, so I would, you know, I'd grab math, I'd grab history, and I would, I would do this, and I could hear him coming back, so then I'd tuck it away, and he'd come back in, hey, Mr. Myron, how are you, man, my test, you know, I'm done, I have a great day, see you later, and, uh, and that, that's, how, that's how it went. Now, now, there's nothing wrong with the test, but, but, but it was my response to the test. I tried to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. Are you guys tracking with me on that? And so this happens all throughout Scripture. In fact, we see Abraham. We see uh, God calls him to a land that he does not know, and he sets out for the land of Canaan. And as he gets there, he realizes that a, a famine is, is striking and plaguing the land, and he's looking at his livestock, he's looking at everything, and he's tempted to go down to Egypt. Rather than trusting God as his provider, he begins to make his way down to Egypt. He begins to rely on his own methodology, his own ways. He makes a mess of things because of his response. The famine was the test, his response, temptation. And then we see the Israelites. We talked about them last week, how God had promised them this land. God said, listen, go and take the land. I got you. I'm going to be with you. It's yours. They get to the land and they observe some giants, test. And now they're, they're tempted to, rather than trusting the promises of God, they're tempted to move toward unbelief 
to doubt the promises of God, and that's how they respond. Hence, they wander now in the wilderness for 40 years because they refused to trust the promises of God. They yielded to temptation. One temptation for that generation cost most of them their lives as it played out in the desert and not in the promise. And so, so you can see how powerful this is. Peter has an opportunity as Jesus is taken captive getting ready to be crucified. Peter has this opportunity to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus, to boldly represent Christ in the midst of adversity. And people surround him in this courtyard. Jesus is taken captive, and and people come around Peter. They're like, hey, you're one of those disciples. You're one of those Galileans, aren't you? And Peter refuses, giving in to the temptation of fear, the test, and the tempt. He yields to it, and as he makes that decision, he locks eyes with Jesus as he's just sold him out, as Jesus said he would do, and you could imagine it says that he went out and he wept bitterly, and so, so James is letting us know that, that temptation is an opportunity for, for, for us to grow and for God to show himself strong. But when you and I start to rely on our own desires, our own resources, our own options, we start to try to do things our way, take things into our hands contrary to what God says, then that trial turns in or that test begins to turn into a temptation, but not a temptation or a trial from without. But James said, here's the difference. The reason why trials and temptations, the reason why James used the same word, because he says some trials come from the outside and some come from the inside. Temptation is, is a trial on the inside. And so James goes on to say, he says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Now, this word desire is the word epitumeo. It means an over-desire. It means, it means a, a lust. It could be uh, a lust after something good, but just overly, like you have an over-desire uh, for this particular thing. It may not be evil in and of itself, but it becomes evil because like Jackie's, Pastor Jackie said earlier, that when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol in our life. It's an over-desire. I begin to desire this thing more than I desire God, more than I desire anything else. It may not be a bad thing in and of itself, but it's still when it turns into an idol or an epitumeo desire, it's a lustful over-desire. But it could also mean something wicked and lustful and, and, and evil, an over-desire for something wicked and sinful. Are you tracking with me on that? So James is trying to help us to understand how this all works. He says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There, there's a process. You see, temptation in and of itself, it's really important for you to understand this is not a sin. So don't beat yourself up if you're tempted. You know, the, the old saying goes that you may not be able to keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep him from making a nest in your hair right? The temptation in and of itself is is not the sin, but James is saying it's a process. Be careful. And I think this is why a lot of times we give in to temptation because it starts in seed form. And and we don't necessarily see the end result. It's like birth. it's, It's a seed that's planted and then it starts to grow over a period of time. And when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. Ravi Zacharias says it like this. He says, sin will always take you further than you want to go, and it will always cost you more than you want to pay. 
It's, it's an epitumeo desire James is talking about. This over-desire that we begin to give into. We turn our backs on God and we give into this temptation, this over-desire. Those things turn to idols. And as that begins to permeate throughout our life, it begins to lead to death. And so, so how does temptation present itself? I think it's important that we kind of look at how does it present, present itself. And we're going to look at Jesus' temptation as he faced it in the wilderness. We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he was hungry. Somebody say hungry. Now, now, hopefully you're thinking critically through what I'm telling you today because I just told you that God cannot be tempted. James just told us that God cannot be tempted. Well, if Jesus is fully man and fully God, if Jesus is God in the flesh, how could he be tempted? You've got to think critically through the scripture like this. And the answer is found in Philippians chapter 2 where we see Paul explaining this beautiful reality that Christ being fully God and fully man, right? He's fully God. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit fully God, yet born of the Virgin Mary, fully man. If you, if you miss that, that aspect of Christ, one of those aspects, you get a distorted Savior. But what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he said even though he was in nature, his very nature, even though he was God in his nature, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Meaning this, is that he, he put aside some of his divine rights and privileges. It didn't take away from his deity as being God. However, it did allow him to be tempted, yet he was without sin because of his divinity. There's no way that, that he could sin because God cannot sin, and that's just, he's fully man, but he's also fully God. So it didn't take him of his divinity, but he set some of those privileges aside so that he would be tempted just like you and I in his humanity. And that's a beautiful thing for us because the writer of Hebrews says, because of that, he is not a high priest that cannot sympathize and empathize with our our temptation and our weaknesses. Because just like us, he was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. you got to ask critical questions when you're reading the scripture. And so he was tempted by the devil and he was hungry. I like to say temptation is where desire and the devil meet. Temptation is where desire and the devil meet. So how does it present itself? Well, first of all, we see here, it presents itself that if our physical needs are met, we'll be satisfied. Come on, we all know that's not true. You guys know that one thing that you really, really wanted? Like, it could be food. It could, it could have been a toy. And then you get it. Like, you're obsessed with it, and then you get it, and then you're just thinking about the next one, yeah. right? Come on, you, you, know, you know that feeling, right? And the devil said to him, he says, man, if you are the son of God, again, kind of bringing his identity into the conversation, tell this stone to become bread. In other words, do what you feel. Do whatever you feel is right. This is what we would call the lust of the flesh. The flesh, when when I speak about the flesh today, it simply means your mind, your will, and your emotions that are subject to sin. And so, so he says, man, just... Just go ahead and turn the stone into bread. Like, you don't have to suffer like this. First lie of temptation. First lie of the enemy. How our evil desires lure us away is that if our physical needs are met, it's so, it would be so much better than the will of God for our life. 
The second thing is this, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is that instant gratification is best. The devil led him up to the highest place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anybody I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. The lust of the eyes. He went and he showed him all of the kingdoms. Now, now, what the enemy was saying to Jesus at this point is like, you don't need the cross. Like, you don't got to go through all that pain. What kind of a father would put you through that anyways? No, 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 just, just bow to me. The enemy knows if he can get your worship, he can, he can control your walk. And so he's just, just bow down to me. And, and the crazy part is he is the author and the father of all lies. The kingdom's all, I mean, he's been given a measure of authority, but the kingdoms belong to, to Jesus already. In fact, everything was made by him and through him. And so the enemy just comes and tries to lie to say, listen, that there's something that you need that Christ doesn't already offer. Or something that, that, that you don't have in Christ. The enemy's like, no, 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 no. What you really need is to bow down to worship me. Take the shortcut. And he'll always try to allure you. Lure you away from what's already yours in Christ. Come on, just, just bow down to the, like instant gratification. He wants our worship. He wants our worship. Third one is this, that you can twist scripture and be okay. That you can live however you want and be fine. Right, right. He says, he will command his angels concerning you. To guard you carefully because what the enemy did was he took him onto the highest place of the temple and said, why don't you throw yourself off? Let me quote the Psalms to you. Now, come on, you know the Psalms, Jesus, don't you? He says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus is like, you got it twisted. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When he was tempted with bread, Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When he tempted it with all the kingdoms of the world, he says, man, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him. You shall have no other gods. And so Jesus responds with the word of God in its proper context and its proper clarity. The enemy says, you can twist God's word to make it palatable for your life. And still be okay. I mean, that's what he did to Eve, right? He said, listen, Eve, I know that God said don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit from that tree. Because Eve even, she knew clearly what God has spoken, that if I eat that, I'm going to die. So the enemy comes and he says, no, no, no. Surely you won't die, Eve. I mean, come on. It's fruit. It's reasonable. I mean, it's... You're going to die from eating some fruit? He says, no, 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 God's just holding out on you because what, what he really knows is that if, if you eat of this fruit, you'll become like him. He just doesn't want you to have what he has. So surely God didn't really mean what he said. You can twist it and still live. Wow. And she bought the bait. It, it's interesting to me. There, there's a, a, a wine company in Napa. And they, they give this illustration. They say, we always try to make our bottles look $10 more expensive than they really are. So we take the gold and the foil. 
We put a 3D emblem on the bottle because it just looks like it's more expensive, right? And research has been done that, that people's pleasure center, it goes to a new height when they think they're drinking a $90, bottle, a $90 bottle of wine opposed to a $5 bottle of wine. Even though it could be the same wine, the pleasure sensors go up in a whole different way. So don't believe the label. And, and, and this, is, this is what's so interesting to me is, is our mind, our will, and our emotions. I mean, if we're not careful, it's, our mind is super powerful, and it can be manipulated. It can be deceived. And, and when, you know, we begin to give into temptation, uh, our evil desires, and the enemy comes and slaps a label on and says, this is great. This is what you need. This is really what's going to satisfy. This is worth so much more. This is way more precious. And then we fall into that trap. So just remember, when temptation is revealed, a lot of times we forget what is real. When temptation is revealed, a lot of times we forget what is real. So how do we battle temptation in 30 minutes, right? That's all I got. How do we, how do we solve this ancient problem in, in 30 minutes? Well, we're probably not going to do that, but let me give you some, some tools for the journey. The first one is this, is you got to know yourself. you got to know yourself. It's interesting how James describes it. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. See, the the key to overcoming and enduring temptation, it, it starts with knowing yourself. It starts with knowing that temptation starts with us. Like We want to blame things and blame people, and blame circumstance all the time. And a lot of times we want to blame God. But it's really hard to know yourself if you're playing the blame game. So you you see Adam and Eve, they do this classic case where they give into the temptation, they give into sin, and Adam says, well, God, it was the woman that you gave me. He blames God. If you didn't give me this woman for crying out loud. Right, and then Eve was like, what? It was the serpent. The devil made me do it. And so instantly, I mean, and all of us know how it feels. We don't, it's not fun to own your stuff. But can I, can I just tell you that, that it does give us a little bit of dignity as humans to own it? Because God didn't create animals. So it actually brings a little bit more dignity to our lives when we say, man, I'm messing up. I got some idols going on. I love what, what uh, um, uh, Jonathan Edwards, he says that this, he says free will, God has given all of us free will. He says, what does that mean? He just says free will is simply doing what you desire most. See, a lot of times we want to come and we want to blame people for our actions. We want to blame people for yielding to temptation. We want to blame our past. Man, you don't know how I grew up. You don't know my dad, my mom. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, never get the occasion confused with the cause. Like, for instance, if, 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 if I was going to take a test back in high school, if I would have took it on my own and I failed, that's the occasion. The cause of my failing is because I didn't study. Are you tracking with me on that? So I could go and say, well, he shouldn't have gave me the test. 
It wasn't so hot in this place. Man, if, if my favorite television show wasn't on, I might have studied a little bit, right? A lot of times we, 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 we get that confused. And James is saying, no, no, no. Remember, when you sin, it's because you want to. You desire to. It's your free will. You desire to do that more than you desire to do anything else in that moment. It's like, no, no, no. Listen, I had to rob the bank. They put a gun to my head, and they said, if I didn't rob the bank, they would, they would, they would take care of me. So I had to. No, 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 no. You just valued your life more than you did not harassing the community. Are you tracking with me? You desired your life more than you desired to be a good citizen. So no, 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 you can't cast the blame. Don't confuse the cause and the occasion. And so you gotta know yourself. You gotta, you gotta know some of these evil desires that you're prone to, some of the idols that are always knocking at your door. And remember, they're not always bad things. They're just good things that we make ultimate things that become idols in our life that still keep us from God. And so, and this, this, is, this is so crazy. I think this is why a lot of people come and they'll say, listen, I really don't need God. I'm a good person. Because what they don't see is that their good things have become idols. They're like, I'm not out there living crazy and wild and I'm not doing any of those things. Yeah, but, but still your good things have become God things in your life. And you're not even enjoying them for the way that they're meant to be created because you're worshiping them rather than the creator. It's an idol. And so, so a good idol test is this. If I, lost, if I lost blank, it would utterly destroy my life. Like, what are you so afraid of losing? Is it face? Is it, is it, is it your, your pride? Is it stuff? And ask yourself, is God enough for me in this area? See, a lot of times, it's not that we want bad things. We just want things badly. And so be honest with yourself. Know yourself. Know your idols. And then, you got to know the bait. You got to know the bait. Like, like, know how the enemy tries to lure you. Look what he says here. Oh, this is going to get you. You guys ready for this? I'm so excited to preach this today. He says that we are dragged away by our own evil desires and enticed. Well, not only is this an over-desire, but this word enticed is a sexual term. It means to be seduced. Can I just tell you, the game will change when you realize that sin isn't simply breaking a rule. It's committing spiritual adultery. That completely changes the context. It's committing adultery on God with his worst enemy. So we are not just breaking rules here. Are you, are you tracking with me? I remember I was talking with a young man, and, uh, and he, was, he was addicted to porn. And I said, you know, every time you look at one of those women, I, I've, you, you've seen them as objects, but can I just remind you that there is a soul in that woman that God loves, that needs Jesus that God cares about. Yeah. See, a lot of times when temptation is revealed, we forget what is real. And he's like, man, that messed me up. It's like, yeah, it, it, it should. It should because that, that, that is the truth. When you and I lie, think about this. Even if it's a little one. Come on, we've all done it. Even if, yeah, there's no such thing as a white lie. It's just a, <laughs> it's a lie. 
different consequences to different lies. It was just a little one. What, what, think about this. What we're saying in that moment is saving face, making myself look better, my fear of this, my fear, all, whatever the reason may be, my profit, my gain. What, what we're saying in that moment is, is, it is it is so much more beautiful than you, Jesus. Saving face is so much more glorious than you. And the enemy just begins to lure us. The Bible says that Satan comes and masquerades as an angel of light, promising safety while leading us away from it. I remember in, I was in Hawaii in Hanama Bay, and I was snorkeling. I was like 12 years old, and it's beautiful. I, I don't know if the reef has been beat up by this time, but when I was a kid, it was beautiful. And I just remember I was out there, and they told me, don't forget, there's a current. So I'm just looking down like, what? This is incredible, right? I can't wait to dive with great whites next year. I'm really excited about that. I was just like, what in the world? And, uh, and then I looked up, and I was like on my way to Japan. <laughs> I was so, like, I forgot about the current. I was so focused on the beauty. It was like, my mom was way over there. I'm like, Mom, you didn't even see me. What? Cell phones didn't even exist then. Like, what were you doing? You let me go all the way out there. And I just, I just remember like, whoa, like I, I forgot about what was real. I was just so captivated by what, what was underneath, and I started to drift. And, and Satan just knows. Like, he, he knows our bait. Every fish, I love to fish. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm good at it, but I love to fish. And I just know every fish has a different bait. If I'm going for striper, I'm probably going to use anchovy. If I'm going for trout, I might use like some power bait or a little jig. If I'm going for bass, probably a jig. I just caught my biggest bass this last year. It was, it was great. If I'm going for salmon, I'm going I'm to use a, a lure. And so every fish has, has a different bait. And, and when I fish, I'm, like, I'm a brutal fisherman. So you, you may not even want to come to this church after you hear this, right? As soon as I feel that tug, and I just yank that thing around. Because you never know. You might get him in the eye as he's trying to get away. The goal is to catch the fish, right? And a lot of times we catch and release. Like, sorry about the eye, buddy. Um, but I think, I think Satan fishes a lot like me. He doesn't care how he hooks you. He just, get on the hook. Just get on the hook. And then what we would do is we just wear the fish out. We let him think he's good. Oh, let him go out. Let him get tired. And then we just reel in little by little, little by little. There's a tribe in Africa, they were trying to figure out how to hunt ducks better. And so what they did is in this duck pond had like a little stream leading into it. So they started sending pumpkins down the, the stream into the duck pond. And in the beginning, the ducks would see the pumpkins like, what is a pumpkin doing in the pond? And they would fly away. And then over a period of time, it was like, oh, that's just a pumpkin. Oh, that's just a pumpkin. And so what this tribal community would do is they would cut out the bottom of the pumpkin, put their heads inside of it, come down, come right up to the duck, <clears throat> grab that bad boy. Brilliant. If I had access to a duck pond, I might try that. Maybe. But, but we got to, listen, if we, can, if, we, if we know the bait and we can identify the subtle bait, we got to be mindful of this stuff, and we got to remember that sin isn't simply breaking a rule. It's breaking God's heart. 
It just changes the game there. Paul says it like this in, in regards to how we deal with it. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you except which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Meaning, he's not going to remove it. He's going to cause you to endure it. Like Jesus didn't get a pass from the wilderness as he was fasting. He had to endure he made a way in the desert. And how did Jesus do it? He didn't do it by simply being on the offense. He, there, there, there was, or on the defense, there was an offensive end in regards to the word of God. Yeah. I, think, I think, again, Jesus might have been, looked like he's playing a little bit more defense, but he had the greatest offensive tool. Yeah. And it was, it was the word of truth. On, just wonder if we get on the front end of temptation rather than just on the back end. I mean, as, as I look throughout the, the scriptures, Romans chapter 12, what does Paul say? Paul says, how do we overcome evil? We overcome evil with good. Yeah. And so the test comes, somebody wrongs you. It's election week. Somebody is getting offended this week. You've probably been offended all, you probably looked at social media and got offended this morning. And so the temptation is this. Oh, I'm going to avoid, delete, block that is it. And sometimes I, I look, I'm like, I get it. I, I, I get it. Yeah. People are just, just in, intense sometimes. But the temptation is this, is to cut off and avoid. Matthew, the word of God says, no, no, if somebody offends you, go to that person. Go make it right. Ephesians, Paul takes it a step further, said, hey, if it's, your enemy, yeah, try to make that right. But even if it doesn't work out, bless them, feed them. Really, Paul? Like, and he says, in doing so, you'll heap coals on their head. Some of us take great joy in that. Like, I'm going to bless you. <laughs> it's like motivation is totally wrong. Like, how do you feel? You burning yet? <laughs> That's not blessing. That's something else. But, but, but to... to you're presented or trying to avoid adultery. It's not just, uh, let me just try to avoid adultery. Everybody right now, don't think of a pink elephant. Boom. How would you do on avoiding that? Not very good, right? Everybody, you all thought of a pink elephant. And so, so it's not just about avoiding. Paul says, no, no, to try to keep from adultery, no, cultivate intimacy with your spouse. Emotionally, spiritually, physically. Understand what the, this mutual submission that guys were to lay our lives down for our wives as Christ did the church and, 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 and wives were to submit to our husbands. Can I just tell you, that is not a one-way submission. That is a mutual death. A mutual death. And Jesus says in that space, your relationship finds great life. It's a mutual submission to one another. And so, so, so I want you to get this, this picture. Paul's like, don't just avoid, cultivate Get on the offense. What does God say about this and, and put it into practice? If you are single and you're wrestling with sexual sin, just run. Just run away. And, and realize that, that you're called to cultivate intimacy with God. And, and focus on kingdom things. Can I just tell you, listen, as a single, your call is a great accountability tool. To walk in what God has called you to. Calling has great accountability. And then as you're cultivating intimacy with the Lord and you experience God's presence and you see the truth and the goodness of, of God and his word, there's just something that says, man, I, I don't want to go there. Let me, let me get on the offense of this thing. 
Paul says it even further. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, don't try to avoid the flesh. He says, walk in the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit, pursue Christ, pursue the things of God. Don't just play offense trying to avoid. Walk in the things of the Spirit. As you're walking in the Spirit, it's really hard to dive into the things of the flesh. And remember, the flesh is where your sin, your will, and your emotions are subject to sin. So he says, walk in the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This word walk in the original language, it means habitually, a continuum. Like make it a habit of daily walking in the spirit. But here's the key. So many of you guys know this. But this, I would propose to you, will only work in light of this last one is you got to know God's goodness. So why, why, would, why would Jesus submit to the Father's word and will? Because he knows my Father is good. So many times we don't submit to the word of God even though we know the word of God and we give it to temptation because we've lost sight of the goodness of God. And so, so if we're going to walk in God's word, we have to know that he is good. And so temptation comes to the surface, desire begins to give birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Nothing good comes from temptation. And so James is going to say, nothing good can come from temptation. In fact, he says, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of our heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits, or in other words, a prized possession of all that he created. The number one thing that the enemy is going to try to get you to do, just like he did to Eve, is to doubt the goodness of God because it's the greatest offensive weapon to temptation. If he can get you away from the reality that God is good, you will not walk in his word. Because you won't trust him. And so what did he say to Eve? God doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding out on you, Eve. What did he get Eve to question? The goodness of God. And so how many times has the enemy come and came to Jesus and he says, you're hungry. You got the power to do something. What kind of a father would leave you hungry like this? Who does this to their son? Like struggling with a little bit of finances? I, th I thought God said he was your provider. You a little bit lonely? I thought God said it's not good that you'd be alone. So why has he left you hanging like this? You've been sick a long time. Is God really for you? You see, when the goodness of God falls off, idols appear. But when the goodness of God is there, idols are crushed. Because we see the beauty and the majesty See, the, the answer to sin and temptation is not to avoid. It's just you got to find something more beautiful. Because we all desire, when we sin, we desire to sin. When we walk in the Spirit, it's because we are desiring something so much more beautiful, and his name is Jesus. You know, my wife, she is the real deal. And I'm spoiled. I'm married up. And I can say that with a clear conscience. She's a gift from God. But I tell you, once I stop realizing that she is the favor of God on my life and I let that slip of the goodness of God see the hard time to hold on to the goodness of God isn't just in trial it's in prosperity because when we're prospering we just feel like we don't we don't need God it's good 
And the moment I begin to lose sight of the goodness of God, I begin to open myself up to temptation, treating her wrong, and a plethora of other things. And one of the things that I know as a man that I am not exempt, I've watched the best of them fall. I gotta keep the goodness of God out in front. Israel, they always forgot the goodness of God and they went back to idols. And they always did it in a majority of the time in a time of prospering. I remember there was a story of a kid that was begging his dad to get on his shoulders and he got on his dad's shoulders and then he started to brag, I can see more than you. Forgetting whose shoulders he was sitting upon. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament, Joseph. Let me, let me close with this. Story in the Old Testament of, of this guy by the name of Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was picked up or bought by this guy by the name of Potiphar, a very powerful man in Egypt. And Joseph found favor in the eyes of the Lord and with Potiphar. And Potiphar gave him everything, in charge of everything in the household except his wife. And Joseph was a good-looking dude. And his wife was constantly pursuing Joseph. And Joseph finally said, I'm not sleeping with you. He says he refused. He says, look to his master's wife. He says, listen, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. He has entrusted me with everything. He owns, he's given me everything. He's trusted everything that he owns into my care. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? See, a lot of times this story with Joseph, uh, what ends up happening is, is, is as the story continues, she catches him by himself and she grabs him by the cloak and says, come to bed with me. And he's like, gets out of that. She's hold on, she holds on to his little cloak and he runs away. You always hear that preached. But why did he run? Because of the goodness of God and his master. Because like he's withheld nothing from me. Why would I sin against God? He is so good and Potiphar has been so good to me. Now, it's not breaking a rule. I don't want to break God's heart. I don't want to do that. And this is so crazy because isn't it ironic that God told Eve the same thing, that I've given you access to everything in the garden. You can eat from any tree except one. And she doubted the goodness of God. Instant gratification. And guess what? She realized I'm naked and I'm about to die. And here Joseph did the right thing. And he's thrown into prison for about 13 years because he was accused of rape. Can I just tell you that when you don't yield to temptation, it does not mean that it's going to be easy on you. It doesn't mean that, hey, God, I, I yield, I, I didn't give in, and now I'm in prison. One led to death of all humanity through Adam and Eve. That seed of sin is still hurting us to this day. Joseph had to suffer a little bit. But then he interpreted a dream for Pharaoh. He, he was exalted to right hand in all of Egypt. God spoke to him about a famine to come. And as a result of his faithfulness, it brought life. It brought hope and sustainability to an entire nation. And so can I just tell you, as people encounter the goodness of God, as we see in Scripture, their lives are never the same. Zacchaeus, as he encountered a, a wicked tax collector, encountered the goodness of God. Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. By the time Jesus was done with one meal, he's like, I'll give everything back that I stole. I'll give half of everything I own. Changed. 
A religious leader, Paul, caught up in his intellect, so prideful in his religiosity, encounters the love and the goodness of God. And he says, everything that I knew before, I counted as loss. I found something so much more beautiful. Right? A woman at the well, five husbands. And the guy that she was with was not her husband. And Jesus says, I know you're thirsty. I know you're looking for it here but I am so much more beautiful. And she didn't even want to be seen, but when she found the beauty and the reality of Jesus, she goes back to her whole town and says, I found something more beautiful. And the disciples laid down their lives, martyred because of beauty that was greater than death. And so my, my encouragement to everybody today is how much more, Jesus said, man, I've given it all to you on the cross. I've given you everything because I love you. I want you. Withheld nothing from you. Let that sink into the depths of your heart, into the depths of your soul, that God not withholding all of his goodness from us, pouring it all out so that you and I could endure this moment this time, this life, and, and great promise for the next, to have life both here and then. It doesn't get any more pretty. It doesn't get any more beautiful. When temptation is revealed, don't forget what's real. Don't lose sight. Don't try to avoid it. No, no, get your pursuit on Christ. When you see the beauty of Jesus, I won't have to persuade you. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I know we're out of time. Be with us. Lord, strengthen us. Help us to see you clearly today. Listen, if you need to give your life to Jesus, our prayer team is going to be up here right after service. If you're online, you can click that little button. One of uh, our team members will get in contact with you. But can I just tell you, maybe you're here today and, and you've bought into all the lies. You, you, you've bought into to instant gratification. you bought into, man, you can twist God's word and do it, how, live however you want. It's going to be okay. Maybe you've bought into uh, th- to this reality that uh, if your physical needs are met, you're going to be satisfied and you're, you're thirsty. And Jesus says, man, come to me. I'll give you rest and you'll never thirst again. Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.